Imagine, if you will, a podcast. A podcast beyond that which is known to man. It exists in both fandom and discovery, in viewing and critiquing. My name is Matt Hurt. This is Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Each podcast, I share my thoughts on an episode of this iconic series as a first-time viewer, as well as share some trivia about the episode. I then end each podcast with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's episode. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com, and if you want to contact me, you can like like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that would be to head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find my show in the highly competitive film and TV uh, podcast category on iTunes. And if you're feeling particularly gen- generous and you want to support the uh, anthology with your wallet, there's a donate button on anthologypod.com and a link in the show notes of this episode. Those show notes, of course, are, can be found at anthologypod.com slash 033. Every donation made using the donate button goes directly toward the fees to keep the podcast running and is incredibly appreciated. So today's a special episode of the podcast. I have finished reviewing season one of The Twilight Zone at long last. Um, um, it was a really fun experience and everything, and I'm super glad to be able to move on to to the next season. Um, and this episode is kind of in exists in a weird interim between season one and season two. Um, I'm taking a little bit of a, a brief break to kind of get my season two stuff up and running. Um, and in that break, I'm bringing on a guest uh, to review one of Serling's early um, TV works. It's The Time Element, uh, an episode of Westinghouse Desi Lu Playhouse that aired in 1958. It was the, it was the, um, kind of, it wasn't the pilot episode of The Twilight Zone, but it was the first thing that, that Serling attached the name The Twilight Zone to. It was kind of the, uh, a presentation that was, that was bought by CBS and eventually led to them purchasing the twilight zone and getting it off the off, off the ground and as i said to review this for to, to review this with me i have a guest it's uh my friend tiny he's uh the co-host from the obsessive viewer and tiny how you doing i'm great thanks for having me maddie yeah no problem uh thanks for being here on your mom's birthday it is my mother's birthday yeah yes. do we want to talk about that a little bit well to anyone who's thinking i'm a i'm an a-hole because i'm as recording a podcast instead of spending the day with my mother mm-hmm. i did see her today i had the day off from work i helped her set up a shutterfly account so oh there you go i'm like a great son sure great Not really i mean well we will be sure to give listeners plenty of time to figure out how they can think of you as an asshole <laughs> yeah. for the rest of this episode. To bide your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll come up. <laughs> uh, yeah, but thank you for, for being here. And uh, listeners to the podcast may recognize Tiny's voice from The Obsessive Viewer, which is my main podcast that um, Tiny and I host. And I 
uh, hawk every single episode in anthology with a brief clip from. So you've probably heard his voice before unless you skip that section of the podcast every single week. Um, and Tiny, just since you're my guest on this podcast, this is a weird dynamic for us because we're usually yeah. you know, together in, in the same podcast, but now right. it's like... I've been I've been yeah. demoted. You kind you, well in this case, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so since I shamelessly promote Obsessive Viewer each week, why don't you give us a few words, like in your in your words, uh, pitch the Obsessive Viewer to listeners just really briefly, and then we can move on to talking about your experience with the Twilight Zone. Okay. Well, the Obsessive Viewer is the greatest movie and TV podcast on the internet, forever, all time. Wow, I have so you were reading that teleprompter so well. <laughs> <laughs> no, like Matt says, it's a weekly movie TV podcast. Um, we we've been doing a lot of reviews lately, which has been really great. Um, and it's we've been talking about Rogue One and uh, Westworld and and all that stuff. That's been that's been a lot of fun, and uh, we we like to focus uh, every once in a while on a, on a topic like uh, detective movies or mm-hmm. um, rom coms or something like that. Um, so we like to mix it up in, in that respect. So if you're into that kind of stuff, um, more up to date or I guess new things that come out every week, check out the Obsessive Viewer. That is such a great pitch, and you can find Obsessive Viewer at obsessiveviewer dot com. And, uh, all right, let's stop with the circle jerk here. I'll, ex- I'll expect my uh, residual check in the mail. You, yes, you will get paid for that at spot. <laughs> um, so let's, let's go ahead and get into this. Before we get to the actual time element episode, I kind of want to get some, uh, some conversation going with you about your experience with the Twilight Zone. Um, I've brought it up on the Obsessive Viewer a few times and we've talked about it a little bit there, but honestly, I don't know what your history is with the twilight zone. If you've watched it as a kid or if you watched it, um, if you had any experience before I kind of shoved it down your throat for, um, <laughs> several weeks on the podcast, especially I'm thinking of when I brought up, uh, monsters are due on maple street. I kind of essentially almost forced you to watch that episode. <laughs> um, so what's your, what's your history with the twilight zone? Well, um, to use your phrase, I really needed it shoved down my throat because, as a big fan of sci-fi and a big TV fan, um, I, I should be well-versed in The Twilight Zone. But for whatever reason, I'm not. Um, I, I think, you know, the advent of Netflix has has really helped people access uh, The Twilight Zone uh, in, in a very good way. And mm-hmm. uh, that's true for my for me as well. Um, my, my past with the show is... Like I said, it's un- unfortunately barren. Um, I've, I've seen a few episodes here and there. I saw one or two as a kid. The one I saw, I don't recall. It's almost like I've repressed it from my memory because it scared the <laughs> crap out of me. Nice. I was like nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my first, like my introduction to the Twilight Zone. It just scared the crap out of me that I've, I've had like an odd relationship with it ever since. Nice. Um, but I've, I've started to watch it since you started this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. And I really need to sit down and, and watch through all of it because it's so... It's it's such it has such a foundation for science fiction. Like mm-hmm. the, there is so much science fiction that all of us take for granted after the 1960s that it was inspired by this TV show. Um, and so it's 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 something that I need to consume and and digest and and work through and, and experience. And I haven't yet. And uh, I'm glad that you're uh, forcing me into it, uh, <laughs> handcuffed and bruised. That's, that's a, that's, that's an exaggeration, but yeah, no, um, yeah, that's great. And it's really interesting. That's what I'm finding 
with doing this podcast is that I'm discovering it's, and I've said this before, I'm sure on this podcast, but it's, it's like I'm slowly discovering one of like my new, one of my new absolute favorite shows of all time. Nice. And it's, it's just really jaw dropping. Um, how, how the caliber of writing and the, the production of, of the show, um, it's it's really incredible how well it holds up, and I'm so glad that I picked this show to do a solo podcast about, and not a show that um, maybe wouldn't have uh, endured endured quite a quite a bit of, uh, quite as much as this as the Twilight Zone. Yeah, hey, I wanted you to do iCarly. I don't know why you went for the Twilight Zone instead of that. Yeah, uh, you know that that podcast is coming. I'm struggling to think of a funny uh, word for or a funny title for it. So unfortunately, I'm I'm at a loss there. That'll <laughs> but, be the next golden age that you tackle. It will be. Yeah, It'll exactly. It'll be iCarly and Glee. Right. Yeah, iCarly, Glee, um, Hannah Montana, The Bee in Apartment Twenty Three. Yeah, I've actually heard good things. Which about actually isn't a bad show. That's I watched what I've bit. heard. Moving on. Moving yeah. on. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, okay. So. Yeah, so so that's cool. That's your history with the Twilight Zone. I'm glad that I can, you know, um, influence someone to watch anything really <laughs> at this point. Um, so that's cool. Have you? What's your favorite episode of anthology that you've heard? Um, because you've listened would, to every single one, right? You know, every every one are um, just etched into my memory. Nice. I've only listened to like two or three. Oh, that's cool. It's because I haven't watched a lot of the show yet, that's, and I want to. I need to watch it before I listen. And hey, that's totally totally fair. I love um, the format, though. I like oh, what you do. Great. I like how you nice. give us information about it, and I'm a big fan of history, and you always start out with some history. Nice. So well, I appreciate well, thank that. you. I wasn't fishing for that, but um, and I understand. Yeah, you haven't watched the show that much. Um, yeah. But I mean, wh- you spent a lot of time the last couple of days watching Black Mirror, right? And I do a bonus episode about Black Mirror, so how many of those have you listened to? Again, just just laser etched into. I haven't. I haven't. Oh well, that's because you great. always you couple them with a Twilight Zone episode that I haven't seen yet. I don't actually at all. Oh, I, didn't know you, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Black Mirror episode is uh, the Black Mirror bonus episodes are. Oh, they're just Black only Mirror. Black Mirror. Okay, yeah. see, I didn't even know that. See, yeah, and that's that's great. I'm suddenly regretting <laughs> having you on. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, with that knowledge, you can you can go back and listen to. I it. can. Yeah. Um. So we'll pause the podcast while you do that. Um, okay, see you in three weeks. All right. <laughs> no, okay, so we're here today to review the time element. And um, it's funny because you just mentioned that I always have history and trivia and stuff. But in this case, since this is a special episode and and uh, we're kind of – I kind of have a guest here to play off of, I'm kind of – not. I guess I'm going to kind of forego the trivia. Um, I may record it later and, and tack it on to the episode if, if I feel like it. But for right now, I think that we're just going to just discuss the episode. And also because it's not really readily available anywhere. Um, usually these episodes, like the bonus, um, the bonus episodes that I do for the, or uh, the bonus reviews in each episode that I do, um, or each podcast, they usually are available to, on, um, YouTube. Or uh, one of the numerous streaming services, so I kind of use that as a as a justification for it. So I'm going to kind of treat this as instead of being like a Twilight Zone episode review, I'm going to treat it as the bonus review. So it's going to be not really spoiler spo- spoiler filled in case people, uh, since it's not that readily um, accessible uh, to it. So we're not really going to spoil it. We're going to just kind of kind of go ahead and do our whole review of it um, without spoiling it essentially. So. To bring us into it, um, I'm going to read the plot description courtesy of IMDb. 
Um, once again, the time element was an episode of Desi, uh, Westinghouse, Desilu Playhouse, um, an anthology uh, show. This aired on November 24th, 1958, and it is uh, the premise is a man is sent back in time to December 6th, 1941, and tries to warn people about the upcoming Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. This, ep- this episode starred William Bendix as Peter Jensen, and co-starred Martin Balsam as Dr. Uh, Gillespie. Um, Martin Balsam, you may remember from, he was in the 16 millimeter shrine in the twilight zone season one. And he was also uh, most known for his role in psycho. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised to see him pop up in this episode. Um, yeah. So tiny, we watched this together just about an hour ago here in my apartment. Uh, what did you think of the time element overall? And what did you go in expecting it to be? Like, I didn't tell you anything about the plot or anything. Did you look it up beforehand? I, I intentionally came in dark to this. Um, I think that's a good way to, I think that's a good position to come into any Rod Serling story Yeah, because you don't, you don't want preconceptions because you never know where it's going to go anyways. I, I think it's fun to go in dark to his story. So I intentionally didn't look this up at all. Nice. Um, and, and I'm glad I didn't cause it's, it was just fun to discover along the way that there's, you know, you just starts out with a guy in a psychiatrist's office and it goes from there and it's like, you know, maybe he's going to psychoanalyze his deep past or maybe it's going to be <laughs> this or that. And it turns into something totally different. So I think it was, I'm, I'm glad I didn't know anything going into it. Um, this was a really great episode. Um, nice. the twilight zone, I love the the half hour format of it, or the you know it's, it's a short, quick episode. Um, at least for the first season, does it stay a half hour long. So I, I really like the format of the Twilight Zone that it's you know a half hour long show. Um, but I think it's fun to explore one of his stories in an hour because mm-hmm. this is an hour long episode. So I, I think that it was cool fleshing some of that out and seeing more of mm-hmm. more character establishment. It's it was just it's it's fun to see his story in this kind of format instead of the half hour. That's really interesting that you say that actually because in season four they actually went to an hour long. Format. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, and again, I'm I mean I'm sorry if this is incorrect, but it's kind of the the premise of this podcast is I don't know the Twilight Zone as I'm as I'm discovering it as I'm going through. So apologies if I have this information wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, I think that it turned to a one hour show and Serling left the show that season to, uh, to, uh, teach, okay. um, in, instead of work on the show or, or he divided his time or something. So it's interesting that they went to an hour long format and we didn't have quite as, uh, Serling's presence there for it. Um, that's my understanding of it. I could be completely off base. So gotcha. take that with a grain of salt. Okay. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it's a terrific idea for a story. I, I like that it's, it's grounded to an event. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that is one of the most famous events in American history, the attack on Pearl Harbor and the story's grounded in that, but it's not about Pearl Harbor. So I think that's mm-hmm. cool. I think that's a, that's a a great way to ground the episode, basically, to to keep driving that word home. Sure. Um, it, it was it was just a really good idea, and you know, I I put it together really quickly. I was like, mm-hmm. he's in Honolulu on December sixth. Oh crap! <laughs> you actually turned to me and you said you said December sixth. Uh, your your actual your I wrote it down in my notes. Oh really? You said December sixth, Honolulu. 
December 7th, Pearl Harbor? <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I kind of played them. I was like, I, that's weird, right? You know? It's <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah. So yeah. I, I put I put that together really quick, but then, you know, the direction it takes, of course, you know, it could have just been like, mm. yeah, we got attacked on December 7th, 1941. Right. But, you know, obviously Rod Serling's got a Rod Serling it. So uh, right. it was it was great. I, I really enjoyed how grounded it was. I liked, I really, really loved William Bendix. I thought mm-hmm. he gave a great performance. He was just, he was he was kind of a dick. He was, um, but like, but like in a great way. He had these really funny sayings where he would threaten people. Mm-hmm. I like I liked his threats. They were just so like very colorful dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was good. There's some comedy in there. Oh yeah, it was it was a really good episode. I liked it a lot. Oh yeah, that's great, and I'm I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about the setup of this episode because it's it's really interesting to me because the kind of the kind of setup for this entire premise is that. Uh, Bendix's character, uh, Mr. Jensen, Pete Jensen, he is seeing a psychiatrist and he's talking about how he, uh, when he goes to sleep, he is transported into, uh, 17 years in the past on December 6th, 1941. And it's kind of presented as a, um, it's a really interesting setup because it reminds me a lot. It is, it is very close to what would become, the episode of the twilight zone in season one per chance to dream, um, which is about a man who, um, is fear afraid to go to sleep because he gets transported into this weird carnival world that has this woman that's summoning him to, um, threatening him, threatening him to his death. Wow. And it's every time he falls asleep, he has this, he has this vision of this. And what's interesting about that is that that episode was not written by Rod Serling. Oh, wow. It was written by Charles Beaumont. Okay. And, uh, it, it's really interesting that they, they have, I don't know if, um, I don't know if, I can't remember off the top of my head if Perchance a Dream was based on... Oh, uh, I think Perchance a Dream was based on a short story that was in Playboy, maybe. Okay. I might be confusing that, but um, I don't know when it came out, or I don't know if... I don't know. I don't know if one influenced the other, but it's just really interesting that they have that same concept um, to, central to it. And I, I have to admit, I had a little bit of trouble starting out with that central premise. I kind of wish that it was just a man transported back in time and he has a finite amount of time to, to, you know, prevent, uh, uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, I kind of think that that, that type of time travel story itself is, is a good, good enough to sustain itself through, through an episode of television. But when they introduced the psychiatrist thing, it kind of felt like, well, is it, is it real? Is it not real? Can he be transported back when he transports back? Does it start a new timeline for him? Is he repeating, repeating his experience in 1941 in a kind of groundhog day kind of thing? Um, so it kind of, it kind of, it kind of, uh, didn't bother me the way that it was set up, but it kind of, uh, was, wasn't what I was expecting. Um, yeah, but I, I got over it and I, it, I got more into it as the, as the episode unfolded. But there's an early scene where, Jensen is talking to the psychiatrist and he is basically, uh, he's kind of self-diagnosing himself. Yeah. And I, I love that because I love that that's how Serling wrote it because that is such a great way f- to have a character tell the audience what, like, n- not necessarily like what his problem is, but like what his, the subtext of it is what his problem is with the world essentially. And it's such a brilliant way to have him tell the audience to us without having a character tell us directly. Like it could have easily been in, in a lesser 
quality script. It would have been that the psychiatrist was telling him that, and it was opening it with like, oh, hey, these are all your problems. Um, just basically spelling it out to us in an exposition dump. But the, here it's just, it's really great and it's fun the way that uh, Serling creates that. Um, how did you feel about Martin Belsom as the psychiatrist, by the way? You know, he was kind of, um, he was kind of there. He wasn't even really a guide necessarily mm-hmm. uh, for a majority of the episode. But I think when we get towards the end of the episode, his role really becomes, uh, becomes obvious, I guess, yeah. or just kind of his role kind of presents, presents itself and, okay. and it's, you understand the importance of his character. Um, and so I, a little bit, I was like, is this whole psychiatrist thing really necessary? But you know, by the time you get to the end of the episode, I think, I think you can appreciate it. And I think it, it was a, he was there as a character to wrap up the story. And, and I think it was a good, it, it was a good thing. Ultimately, I, I'm glad that I was wrong at the beginning that I think it was necessary for him to be at the psychiatrist office and, and working through it. And, and he's, he's just kind of a, he's kind of a, uh, the main character, uh, Peter Jensen's kind of a, kind of just a jerk right at the beginning. He's, yeah. he's hung over and he's treating everybody like crap and he's kind of short with the psychiatrist. And I think he, his character changes throughout the episode in a, in a good way. And so you start to empathize with him a little bit more. Um, and so, you need his, you need uh, Martin Balsam's character there at the end to kind of put a bow on everything mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, you don't want to just, I'm trying not to spoil it, but you know, you don't, sure. you don't want to see his character uh, just, just gone. And then, you know, there's no, there's nothing to wrap up the end of the story. So that's, right. it was good that he was there and I, yeah. I'm glad that that was the direction it took. That, yeah. I, I agree with you there. It's kind of interesting. There are some interesting parallels with, um, his his character in this episode or his character in the time element and his character in um the one of the twilight zone episodes he was in um the 16 millimeter shrine they're kind of very similar yeah um absolutely arcs there yeah, yeah. um but yeah i and i mean <laughs> i i kind of just freaking love martin balsam in really anything he is such an amiable guy he seems so likable and friendly and like he is the perfect casting for a psychiatrist role that is uh essentially you know he's supposed to be someone that a person is turning to for guidance and he has this just kind of um affable quality to him that like i mean he you can it feels like it's it's not a stretch to think that um bendix's character can just open up to him um there, so I, I really respect Martin Balsam for his performance there because he just has a good good energy to him. Me too. He's a great character actor. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So so the main plot is that he you know falls asleep and he wakes up or he's in 1941, and um you know it's it's really interesting the way that they um, introduce that element to the plot, like the whole time travel element of it. I'm kind of. I don't know if maybe this is the 2016 in me talking or maybe by the time this is posting, it would be 2017, but um, I don't know if it's, it's the modern era talking in my, in my brain, but it's interesting that this is kind of a low key time travel story. It's like, he's not, he's, there are parts where the character is trying to, trying to warn people about Pearl Harbor. He's trying to not necessarily prevent it, but he's trying to get the word out about it. Um, 
But the episode isn't necessarily all about that. He seems to be, it's kind of a low effort. <laughs> um, there are certain things that compel him to do it, but it's not like he realizes that it's the night before uh, December 7th. I keep wanting to say 9-11. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he realizes, it's not that he realizes that it's the day before Pearl Harbor and it's like his entire um, his entire goal is to prevent it or save people. It's like he's more perplexed by it um, and he he doesn't really seem to, I don't know, it's not really about fighting to get uh, the word out about it for me. Did you get any of that? Did, how did you feel about the way that um, his uh, his effort or his reaction to being in like the day before uh, Pearl Harbor? How did you think that that, how did you feel about the way that that played out? Well, I think I think there's there's a shift because in, towards the beginning, like I said, he's just kind of a dick, yeah. and like he, there there's a time early on in the episode where he's in one of his quote unquote dreams, and he's placing bets. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's placing bets on sporting events that he knows <laughs> he knows the answer to or where knows he's going to so, win. Yeah, and there's a great a great um, bit of. Uh, comic relief in that and that he's he's betting on sports events that haven't even been scheduled yet yeah which i thought was a nice touch it's ridiculous yeah it it really is it's it's a nice uh appeal to the uh to the audiences kind of like i mean that's that's kind of a prerequisite for any time travel story right is you need that kind of thing and i, I like that they incorporated it into it but i didn't mean to interrupt that's cool i'm just used to being the only one here <laughs> <laughs> so i i feel like you know he's very self-interested at first um, but then in that moment when he's placing those bets, he has that conversation with the ensign who's assigned to the USS Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that conversation is a tipping point. And, you know, he realizes it, it, it's made real for him, the stakes, you know, the, the, uh, the, the grounding event or, or whatever, the point in time that, that he is, he seems to be linked to when he goes to sleep he real, I guess he just kind of realizes that it's not really about him. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I wonder if he comes to the realization that I keep having this dream, and so I need to. I'm here for a reason, and I don't necessarily think the reason is to get rich. He never externalizes that, or right, he says that out loud. But I feel like we can see the character of Peter Jensen going through a transition and mm-hmm. during, during that conversation or right after, I think he does yeah. say there is a line where he says, these are two nice young looking young kids. Yeah. And I don't want the wife to be a widow in the morning. You yeah. Know? A so widow after two days or something like that. Right. And so, so I think that, you know, that kind of brings it down to earth for him and he realizes that he needs to do something different with his mm-hmm. time, quote unquote, which is funny, yeah. funny way to put it. Yeah. Um, it exposes his conscience. Right. Yeah. Right. And so for the rest of the episode, he works towards, doing something about it but you know it's this is what the twilight zone is so great at you know there are these these universal questions or scenarios that we can place each other in like you know if you could travel back in time where would you go to and why right you can you can sit there and think about those things and the twilight zone comes up with those questions and and answers them in a certain way and like well this is what this guy might do or this is what this might happen Mm -hmm. and and that's really fascinating to see how how really would you try to prevent Pearl Harbor? Right. How would you try to save those thousands of lives? Mm-hmm. And it's just like you know, this guy tries, and it's really hard. And it's 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 just it's very fascinating to watch that scenario play itself out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the strength of the episode. Yeah, I agree. I'll agree with you. I would say that the beginning of it um, 
is kind of where where I'm where I'm coming from that he that he it's not his immediate goal is to stop Pearl Harbor. It's just like right. he's like, oh, oh wow, uh, cool. I'm in 1941, but um, but yeah, I'll agree with you there that it does propel him. Him the newlywed couple does propel him to to attempt to make an attempt. And let's let's talk a little bit about what he does. And and let's not really. I mean, obviously, we're trying to remain spoiler free, so let's not really go into too much detail about what exactly happens there. But I thought it was really interesting that this is. Um, the story is being depicted as being set in 1941. It's written in 1958. It's set the present day of the story is in 1958. And I think it's interesting to note that his, his first place where he goes to try to get the word out about Pearl Harbor is the newspaper. And not only is it the newspaper, but it's the newspaper on December 6th, like after 5 p.m. Right. And I thought that that was interesting because he says the words. He says, um, you you guys are the only, like, uh, you guys will get the word out fastest. And I'm just thinking, like, that's really fascinating because, like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, they're taking down notes and stuff. And I'm thinking, like, I mean, they got to take it to the printer. They've got to right. distribute it. It's like, that's not enough time, man. Um, but then again, I mean, I'm, this is the Twitter age, so um, maybe right. the can work that fast but i just thought that, that was a fascinating thing did that register with you at all did you think that there was another way that he could have gone about it yeah that registered with me definitely because you know my first thought would be go knock on the general's door or <laughs> the colonel's door or whoever and you know he says in the he says a line in the episode where he says i don't want to have to cut through all the brass or deal mm-hmm. with all the brass which is a saying he doesn't want to have to work his way up the chain of command right until someone finally takes him seriously mm-hmm. so i can understand his reasoning there but again, what what would you do? You know, if you're in that scenario, there's there's no internet, there's no Twitter. You can't just you can't just call the news and be like, "Can you please do this?" You know, it's like w- given the technology and the tools and skills available to him in 1941, the day before Pearl Harbor, how would you go about trying to prevent that? It's the it's it's almost it's almost impossible, I think, and so. I, I, just seeing it played out, I think what happens is a pretty realistic scenario. Um, I agree. And yeah, but I mean, I think maybe going to the newspaper makes the most sense. Yeah. Um, uh, sh- fair enough. I yeah. would think maybe radio would maybe be, radio, be the best. Yeah. But, you got um, to get them to buy your story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was an interesting interesting avenue for them to go with the character and everything. And I, I love the response he gets. It's, uh, it's a very patronizing <laughs> response. Yeah. It's one of my favorite moments in terms of comic relief in the episode but um I, I thought that it was it was it was a good segment of the episode for me it was a good it was a good way to kind of really bring home the hopelessness of him doing that and there's a line of dialogue after after he leaves the newspaper um that i i want to highlight because it is a surling line and it's it's great because it connects so well with uh uh, time enough at last the ep- the episode with Burgess uh, Burgess Mer- Meredith, but like the character of Pete Jensen says, the best played lands of mice and men and Pete Jensen, and that's like that mimics what would be the closing narration of Time Enough at Last, where Sterling says begins it with the best laid plans of mice and men and Henry Bemis. Okay, um, yeah, I just I I liked that that he reuses that. Um, reference point it's a good um, line yeah oh yeah obviously you know he's not responsible for right, yeah <laughs> that but you know it, it's just nice that he has that reference point that he reused it um in an iconic twilight zone episode 
And it's it's kind of interesting because at a certain point in the episode, Jensen kind of takes this. He it's almost like he admits defeat, mm-hmm. and he kind of has this morose attitude. It's kind of this interesting, uh, uh, not nihilism, but kind of like this fatalism to it. Like he he says that um, he he's kind of making a scene a little bit, and he just kind of says, "I don't want to give you trouble. I want to give you music." And he's referencing the jukebox and stuff. The jukebox and it's just it's really um interesting to see how beaten down and i don't know if did it register with you that he was beaten down at that point or am i was i misreading it because i kind of felt like he was not necessarily admitting defeat but it's like he he realized that there was no hope for him to really save everyone did you register did that did that connect with you that way? Absolutely. It's it's the night before like it's mm-hmm. eight nine ten hours before the yeah. plane the bombs are going to drop mm-hmm. and I, I think I think you're right. I don't know that he necessarily admits defeat, but I think he's he's basically just grasping at straws, mm-hmm. um, trying to sing the fight songs and stuff that that were yeah. written after Pearl Harbor was bombed. Um, and of course, they have no frame of reference for that, so it's not going to have any effect. But right. it's all he can think of at the time, and it's mm-hmm. it's it really just displays his desperation and just just lack of lack of an idea of what to do Mm -hmm. and he's he's looking at a bunch of people who are going to be dead in eight hours or whatever um right and and it's 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 one of those things where it's it's fast it's one of those scenarios that as far as we know is it it could never happen we could never have somebody Mm -hmm. in that scenario but it's fascinating to see how the human psyche responds to that scenario just being completely helpless there's no way that you can convince people of this without looking like a nutbag right and and he's absolutely right and that's what's it's just it's 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 you never necessarily know how someone's going to react but i think it's it's going to be an act of desperation and that's what that moment is and, and i thought it was really well done awesome awesome acting by william bendix i uh, yeah i agree really completely good. yeah um and and we'll we'll save the rest. We're still trying to remain spoiler free. But what did you think of kind of the ending of it? Um, I w- do want to highlight that there was a really great moment with uh, Martin Balsam again, where he is describing he's describing to Jensen. He's describing why the logic of of time travel doesn't work, and it's kind of at this point, it's kind of I wouldn't say that it's dated, but it's kind of a it's kind of a, a logical. Um, explanation that that kind of is just uh, it's just kind of a um, I don't know I don't know how you would describe it really without going to spoilers it's kind of a it's a logical explanation for why it can't possibly be true that he's going back in time and physically existing in 1941 um, yeah it's it's a logical explanation for a supernatural phenomenon exactly and it's so it, for that reason it doesn't fit yeah and um, I and I like that they included that because it's like absolutely yeah they you have to have a, a reason for the psychiatrist to doubt him or, or the psychiatrist to not be swept up in it. It's, it's a logical, like rational explanation for an irrational thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I, I liked the ending. I think it was, mm-hmm. I, I liked the, I appreciated the abruptness of it. Mm-hmm. I think it gets to a certain point and I was expecting a very heroic thing or like a very grand gesture, something grand to happen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, which I think was a realistic result, which is a silly thing to say because we're talking about a completely fictional thing that can't really happen. But it was, I think it was a realistic result. And, and mm-hmm. I thought it was 
abrupt and, and kind of kind of heartbreaking. You know, I, I wanted mm-hmm. to see I wanted to see an act of heroism. Um and, and it and it had a very real world kind of tragic event and it was I think it was really good and I liked it, but I, it, it just kind of crushed me. I was like, ah, oh, man, that's a bummer. <laughs> um, but it, I, it, it yeah. was very well done. I agree. I, I liked the ending as well. And I thought that it was a, it was a nice, uh, a nice cap on it really. And they, they use a voiceover, um, element to it that I, I like that it's a voiceover of dialogue that was used earlier in the episode, but they distort it a little bit. And it's, I thought that was a nice effect to it. Um, it's slightly distorted and a little more, otherworldly the way that it's presented in that ending. And I, I really appreciated that. Yep. Um, so I, I kind of want to ask you this since we're um, kind of kind of getting to the point where we're winding down a little bit, but um, did you find it, I guess, would you think of it as believable that and I'm talking more in the general sense of the idea of someone being transported back in time to 1941 on the eve of uh, Pearl Harbor do you find it believable that people wouldn't believe him? Um, because like the whole time I'm thinking that, okay, well here's a man granted. He has no, um, there's no proof or anything. There's no, there's no idea of like, yes, this, uh, like everyone scoffs at him and saying like, there's no way that's going to happen. And granted I wasn't, you know, around in 1941, but, and I, and I understand that yes, it's completely at that time. Like, you know, we weren't involved with, with, the stuff going on and it's it's kind of i'm putting my foot in my mouth but, um, <laughs> it's kind of it's it's interesting to think that back then people couldn't have fathomed that japan would have attacked attacked us right but it's still there is you know the climate of of the era it's it's i feel like part of me feels like maybe it wouldn't have been completely out of the realm of possibility like yeah you know you these like if you scream, like if you scream enough about it, you know, maybe they would, you know, keep a closer eye on things maybe. Right. And that could in itself affect change. Did you believe that people wouldn't believe a raving lunatic about the Japanese attacking? Well, I think there's a whole element of time that plays a factor in this. <laughs> there's a whole the too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, he has less than 24 hours that's, to get that's this true. done. And, I, and that's a good point. I think that's the problem. And I think the... I, f- I feel like <laughs> the culture was different back then. I feel mm-hmm. like as a society, we're much more cynical to acts of terror, which is really what Pearl Harbor was. You know, we're much more cynical to that now. So if mm-hmm. you, if some guy walked into a bar in San Francisco tonight and said, North Korea is going to launch a bomb mm-hmm. on, you know, December 29th, 2016. It, that's going to be a date that everyone remembers because the city of San Francisco is going to disappear um, because of a nuclear bomb being dropped on it. You know, that's, that's going to be hard. It, it might, I think people might be more receptive to that now in the information age, in the war on terror age. I think that's, that's easier to do in 24 hours than it was in 1941. So that's something you got to look at, but I, I don't know. I think, I think it would have been, 
there there was i think i think there was a climax of the episode that i was looking for where he you know he marches into the marches into pearl harbor at seven o'clock in the morning on on december 7th and he convinces Mm -hmm. someone to leave like he this guy puts a lot of effort in in this in these this journey back in time several times and he gets nothing out of it and it's it's unfortunate i think it would have been a cool conclusion if he had actually saved somebody at least one person. I think that mm-hmm. would have been a cool part of the story, and maybe at the end the psychiatrist could have called that person and talked to him. And oh, that would have been cool. That would have been pretty cool. But I still, th- I still think the ending was good and everything. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. I don't want to spoil any more than I already have. But sure. um, the way he wakes up in the morning on you know December seventh, I mm-hmm. think it, I think it makes sense and it's a logical progression. So I'm not upset with the way it it, it turned out. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I I'd be curious to see that juxtaposition. You know, a 2016 potential terror attack versus 1941 Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor. Just the cultural and and information and technological differences. I think make it more of a challenge in 1941. And that's a really interesting point. And that actually is something that I I thought about a little bit too. And I was going to actually ask you a question about that. But um, it's let me try to frame this in a certain way. It, it's interesting to me. This is a kind of a different, uh, different question entirely. But it's interesting to me that that episode was written and it premiered in 1958, and this was 17 years after Pearl Harbor. And they're creating this um, fictionalized, science fiction-based um, story with Pearl Harbor at the center of it, um, and to kind of, to kind of, I guess my question is: Do you? This is bringing the conversation to a completely different arena, but here we are. It's we're recording this on December twenty eighth, twenty sixteen. Here in a few days, it's going to be twenty seventeen. In twenty eighteen, we will be seventeen years removed from nine eleven. It's it's interesting to me. Is it is it a cultural thing? Because I I don't feel like we're at a point in our culture where we could really fictionalize September eleventh. In a way that that can make the make make the uh, the nine eleven attacks as integral to a story the way that Pearl Harbor was to the time element, and have it be you know um, not met with like kind of a, a cultural backlash. Really, do you how do you feel about how would you feel about that? A hypothetical in which do you think that eighteen years in present time um, is enough to create a fictionalized account of, of a disaster like that versus it being 18 years between Pearl Harbor and the time element. That's a really good question. Years. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I'm i curious myself, and, and especially to use that event, 9-11, in the way that Pearl Harbor was used for this story. You have a mm-hmm. science fiction story mm-hmm. where guys traveling in time and so that story is not necessarily about Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. So if you could make a story where it's not necessarily about 9-11, but it plays an integral role in the plot, that would be interesting to see how that, first of all, how it's used, just how, you know, what kind of story we get with that. And then secondly, how people would react to it. I'm sure that, you know, again, talking about the difference in culture and, and societal opinions and I guess general temperament of the populace. I, I feel like people are a little bit more sensitive now than they were in the 1950s. Yeah. And so I feel like there would be 
<clears throat> without question a a group of people who were up in arms over them, you know, bogarting nine eleven basically right. using it to tell a silly story, mm-hmm. if you will. Um but at the same time I think we've gotten a couple stories around nine eleven. Like uh what was the Extremely loud and incredibly close with the yeah it, it was it was used in that story it, yeah in a decent way and it was it was sort of used in uh, Zero Dark Thirty a little bit right at the beginning of the movie yeah um it definitely played to the public reaction really right right so I think it, it's it's nine eleven as an event has been used fictitiously before mm-hmm. but not necessarily to the extent. That it was used in this episode of television with a time right. element. That I mean, obviously, you had uh, um, World Trade Center, mm-hmm. the Oliver yeah. Stone movie, but that was completely about nine eleven. Right. So, I mean, it's, that's that's a little bit different. It was more of a docudrama, really. Right. And also, I think that the important distinction to make here that I failed to when I when I brought up this hypothetical is that, um, I mean, Pearl Harbor and um, nine eleven. There, I mean, they're significant historical events to to say the bare minimum. Um, but also, it's Pearl Harbor was a military installation, right? Right. Whereas the World Trade Center was civilian, hundreds and hundreds of civilian deaths at um, peacetime as well. At peacetime, yeah. So, yeah. so it is that is a little bit of a. It's not. It's not really a fair comparison for this scenario. So, um, I'm kind of spinning my wheels at this point. But um, I think it's just interesting to see that we have two very significant tragic events, um, and and to see where we're at in terms of time. Um, yeah, for the, that. the de- you're right. The details are significantly significantly different in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the people, most of the people who died in Pearl Harbor, had signed a contract saying they're mm-hmm. willing to die right. for their country, whereas you know, not that they should have, obviously I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, they had a certain mental preparedness for that, mm-hmm. that outcome. Whereas everyone that died in nine 11, they were just going to work yeah. on a Tuesday morning. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it is, there is a significant difference there. And I mm-hmm. think the sensibilities of the people who suffered as a result of both events, mm-hmm. they might be more or less receptive given those factors that you yeah. just mentioned. It, and I'm I'm curious to see how that would kind of play out with a similar event like nine eleven. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I th- I think it I, I'd be I'd definitely watch it. I'd be curious yeah, to I'd, see I'd be very curious. Yeah, to see how people react to that. And you know what's fascinating is that I'm I'm I was sitting here thinking like, you know, uh, let's let's think of the kind of watershed moments in history and everything. Like the big tragic moments in our history and like like I was thinking, okay, there's 9-11, Pearl Harbor, and then also the JFK assassination, which is fascinating because we had a dramatization yeah. of a character, of a person going back in time to prevent the JFK assassination in 11-22-63. Um, granted, the time of that is 50 years removed from it, but um, mm. it's just interesting that, that we have that type of uh, story. And I really enjoyed 11-22-63, both the novel and the uh, miniseries. So, right. Yeah. Oh, there's um, a cool episode of uh, um, Doctor Who where they he goes to when Vesuvius erupted. Oh yeah. That's a cool episode as well. Mm-hmm. He, he goes to a lot of those. There's, there's a lot of good examples of moments in history or at least characters throughout history, mm-hmm. um, that are exemplified in Dr. Who as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Cool. And I think that we can kind of start closing it down here. Um, yeah. Any, any parting thoughts on the time element in the twilight zone? Do you want to, do you want to, for those who've listened to the obsessive viewer podcast where you talked about the monsters to do on Maple street, do you want to, do you still have those opinions about it? I mean, you didn't have negative opinions about it, but I know that you, it didn't really take you with it. Have you revisited it at all? I haven't. Um, I'm not sure how much my opinions have changed on it. I, okay. I'm not sure they really have at mm-hmm. all. Um, but one thing I think was of note uh, about this episode, the time element, <laughs> is that it's an episode of Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse. Never had heard of that ever in my life. Yeah. Um, but I just, after the, like we watched it, and then afterwards there's this, Really like hokey, yeah. hokey marketing scheme, spot. like an ad spot, but yeah. it's like built into the show. It's not even like like Desi Arnaz is sitting there opening up a Westinghouse refrigerator and saying like, "Oh, look at all the food in this refrigerator!" Like, <laughs> really? It's like I, I think it's kind of it's kind of a fun from like a marketing perspective yeah. to see where yeah. it was in the 1950s. Um, but also, I think it's kind of cool that. Westinghouse just like had their own show. Yeah, they in, just they were like they weren't just like the main sponsor. Like they were mm-hmm. just like it was the Westinghouse show. That's that's kind of cool. Oh, absolutely. And this like this anthology like anthology show format like that, like live performance shows like that in antho- an anthology thing was like they was it was prevalent. Like it was right. it was huge um at the time and it's just it's really interesting. Like they had um I'm blanking on some of the um, shows because they had other like sponsored shows like that. Well, it's um, kind of funny to think about what would be the modern equivalent of that. Would you have like a Mi- Microsoft Playhouse? You know, yeah, that's the thing, and that's something that I kind of lamented in some of the episodes here. Like, like they, like there was like the United States Steel Hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's just it's fascinating. Um, I think it'd be cool. Yeah. To, oh, to me just, too. I mean, well, we we kind of have it when you think about it with Amazon. Amazon's just a retailer, and they just happen to start mm-hmm. making TV shows. In in that in yeah, I I agree with that for sure. Um, but, but it's n- it's not called it's not called like Amazon's the man in the high castle, right? You know what I mean? It's well, a, a sort of is, but um, but, but, but you, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a little different. Yeah, and also like that's a that's you know a uh, somewhat serialized, you know. Uh, fictional show right. uh, with its own arcs and everything like the thing about these I mean there was like Goodyear Theater <laughs> to see an episodic playhouse show yeah to see serialized or uh, yeah. an anthology show yeah. presented by a, a corporation or a product um, for it it's just it's really interesting that's one of the things that I am finding that I'm really fascinated by um, with this era of television is that you get those you get those moments where they are I mean, they are promoting the product that's sponsoring the show. And I've seen it in um, episodes of Tales of Tomorrow that I recorded, uh, that I did bonus reviews for throughout the season of uh, this season of Anthology. It's just, it's really interesting to see them, like, like at ad breaks, they had to promote the products or they, they had, the, had the promotional stuff. It's, it's just really interesting um, to see that era of, of television presented, uh, like that era of television. It is, it is totally a lost era. I think, and it, it's something that, like, when you think about live performances, and like this, this, I don't believe this show was like a live performance, but I'm thinking of um, like uh, Tales of Tomorrow and and, and Playhouse ninety. Um, those shows were like live stage productions. Um, 
that were like aired on television. And the closest you get to that really is maybe, I don't know what, SNL. Yeah. But those are just sketches. And it's just, I would love to see that type of television show make a resurgence. I, I think that that would be fascinating to see yeah. um, with the technological advancements we've made and the, and today's talent. I mean, I can't imagine that, like I can only imagine that that would be a stretch of talent. So like it's one thing to shoot a, a television show and do multiple takes of a thing, but to have it air, like to have it filmed live to air. It's, it's just, I, my jaw drops at it. I think it'd be fun to, for like a show like Black Mirror mm-hmm. that has episodic episodes right. to have like a an host, anthology show, an anthology show yeah. to have a host come in at the beginning yeah. and and you know set up the stage, set up the scene. Mm-hmm. I, that that'd just be it'd be it'd be nostalgia without question. Mm-hmm. It would be playing to nostalgic emotions. Uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it'd be yeah. kind of fun if someone did that again with some kind of show. That would be cool. And I know that there are some anthology shows particularly anthology episodic episodic anthology series because there's, there's a distinction now because today you hear anthology show you think of one season stories right like american horror story true yeah. detective stuff like that um but the actual episodic anthology shows like black mirror mm-hmm. i know there's there's some coming out i have them on my radar to do bonus episodes of like like science fiction anthology shows like there's one on hulu called uh dimension 404 that's going to be coming out okay and it's got it's from the people that do uh, i believe it's rocket jump which is a show on hulu and and they do web shorts and stuff um i've been kind of keeping an eye out for that but um actually one of the main guys was a guest at any popcon when we were at it Oh, cool yeah and i didn't realize it until after like i would have gone up and like like tried to talk to him about dimension 404 because i'm very intrigued by it but um I think that that would be an interesting thing to have someone present the story to us um, that way, like the way that, you know, anthology shows did and the way that the Twilight Zone does. I know that it, starting in season two, I think Serling introduces the episodes, but on screen. So okay. we'll see, though. Um, yeah, the vintage marketing mm-hmm. was a fun little touch that I just enjoyed. Yeah. I thought that was fun. Totally. Um, and I'm glad that they incorporate, they keep that in the DVDs as Absolutely, well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So I think that'll about do it for this special episode of anthology. And, uh, once again, thank you guys for listening and tiny. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was fun. I really, it's, I really liked this episode. It was fun. You know, that's great. I'm so glad you did. I was yeah. kind of worried. Well, I was nervous that you weren't going to be into it or whatever, but I was really excited to have, you know, you on to, to talk about it because I mean, we do this all the time on obsessive viewer and it's kind of cool to do a big crossover event podcast. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you online? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at obsessive tiny. Um, you can chat with us on the, uh, obsessive viewer, uh, group page. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to participate in the, the, the comments and the, uh, the questions we have every week there. Um, uh, yeah, those are the two main places. Shoot me an email if you want or send me a, a DM on Twitter, something mm-hmm. like that, if you want to talk about something or call me an idiot for a certain <laughs> opinion. I have no problem with that. I'm open to criticism. So, sure. Yeah, it was fun to be here. Nice. Thank you. Thank you again for joining me. And, of course, you can, uh, if you do want to email Tiny, you can email him at uh, obsessivetiny at gmail.com. Or, no, tiny at obsessiveviewer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I was trying to bring up the episode of Obsessive Viewer where you talked about 
um, the uh, the Monsters No Maple Street, but I can't find it. But anyway, um, you know, l- uh, you know, uh, yeah, get in touch with him if you want to. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time. I'll start be starting season two of the Twilight Zone. My season two reviews um, here in a couple weeks. I'm probably going to take a couple week break um, from this point. Um, just to give me some time to kind of get season two off the ground and, and kind of give myself a little bit of a, a break because I've been doing the bonus episodes, the Black Mirror bonus episodes and, and posting these episodes. So um, once again, thank you guys for listening to season one of Anthology. We'll be back with season two. And thank you again, Tiny, for joining me. And that'll do it for this episode. Thanks, guys. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at AnthologyPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to the Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious... Check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.